get 18 to 22 year old young males to understand the sense of urgency that you have to have to play at the highest level of college basketball isn't always easy. And that's where I have to do a better job. We've got to continue to keep showing improvement. Um, and uh, I do believe that we have shown improvement. Now, we didn't win as many games as we want by any stretch of imagination, but I believe that's a process that happens. It's that time of year Brandy and eggnog There's plenty of cheer There's lights on the trees And there's wreaths to be hung There's mischief and mayhem And songs to be sung There's bells and there's holly The kids are gung-ho True love finds a kiss Beneath fresh mistletoe Some families are messed up While others are fine If you think yours is crazy well, you should see mine. Welcome to the Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger, Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. That was Dropkick Murphy's The Seasons Upon Us and probably the uh, cheesiest intro there with the computer-generated voice, but uh, that kind of shows the, uh, the budget we're working with here on Buff Stampede Radio. <laughs> We just we, had a hot dish for lunch. I'm just impressed that great. that computer-generated voice even came close to pronouncing our names correctly. Yeah, I give it some credit there. Well, guys, uh, the holidays are coming here. Not exactly the cheeriest of times around CU Athletics, uh, but we're going we're gonna to dive in anyways. We're going to talk about men's basketball here for about the first half an hour. Then we're going to go back and recap the football season. Yes, we, we have to do that, guys. First off, with men's basketball, yeah, this is a basketball team that uh, – Started out six and three. We all, in our preseason expectations, had them with some non-conference losses. I had them losing uh, at Wyoming. I had them losing at Georgia. But I didn't have. I don't think anybody envisioned them having three losses at this point of the season. How surprised are you guys? Um, I wouldn't say like if you just look at on paper. If you look at the record and who they lost to, I wouldn't say that's shocking. You know. Um, the, at Wyoming, that was a very losable game. We knew that going into the season. At Georgia, I didn't predict it, but you know that's them going on the road again. You don't, you're not writing that in as an automatic win. And then CSU, you know, it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. So when you look at six and three, it sounds bad. When you look at the, the teams they lost to, you say, uh, I guess that's not shocking. The shocking thing is just that they haven't really come together as a team and put. A performance out there that makes you really confident about, about where this team going. So um, the the record, I guess, isn't shocking to me. It's the performance and the lack of performance that's shocking to me. It's definitely shocking to me. Um, I had us at eight and one. I think going. I had I had us losing to Wyoming because we always lose there. Yeah. So I'm not by any means shocked that we lost to Wyoming. I would say how we lost to Wyoming was certainly a shock. Throwing up 33 points in a game with that many returning players on your roster is pretty difficult to fathom for me. Um, luckily, I was at a wedding, so I didn't have to watch that game. So I'm a little <laughs> thankful for that, I guess, in this holiday times. But uh, um, to me, the Georgia loss, 
on an individual basis isn't shocking, but when you combine it to me with the Wyoming game, I did expect us to win one of those games. So, you know, it's a road game where we have never been great on the road, but I would have said between the two we would have found a way to get one of those games. And then to me, the rivalry thing, yeah, losing at home to CSU, that to me that is shocking. CSU's a good team. There's no I mean, obviously they're 10-0. They're a good team. But they have a lot of moving parts. We had a lot of returning pieces. And we definitely had some matchups that we weren't able to take advantage of in that game. And I think, to me, the most frustrating part about that entire game was that CSU didn't play great. They've played better games than that. Yeah. They gave us a lot of opportunities to win the game. We're at home. There was like 12 CSU fans at the game. It wasn't like they were making any noise or, you know, it wasn't like it used to be where there was more CSU people there and the noise, you know, once they started to make a run became an impact. That didn't happen in that game. And we just didn't find a way to get it done. To me, that game was extremely disappointing, not only because it's CSU and now we've lost them in both sports, but to me, it they lost a big opportunity. That that was a game, that that's a statement game in your non-conference that at the end of the year, the committee is going to look at and say, that's a good win. CSU is going to the tournament. So that would have been a huge win, and now we really haven't given ourselves many chances to have that type of statement win as we close down the stretch here. Points of emphasis for this basketball team in the offseason coming into this season were improving the assist-to-turnover ratio, improving the the offensive end of the court, uh, the, the point production, making it more of a transition game. Well, they rank last in the Pac-12 in both of those, in scoring offense and in assist-to-turnover ratio. If we had a producer, he would have the, the crashing plane going in the background <laughs> while, while you were talking about the points of emphasis. Yeah, so I, obviously that's the most disappointing to me. What are the major problems for this basketball team in your guys' eyes? I would say, this is going to be weird to say, so let me try to explain this to you, but I think they passed themselves out of assists. Like, you watch them play, there's so many times where they try to make that extra pass, and Boyle always talks about them being unselfish, and it's like, to the detriment of the team more often than not. Like back, I remember one specific play. I don't even remember who they were playing. There's a possession where Treshawn Fletcher and Xavier Tolton drove baseline four consecutive times and passed up wide open threes to each other, and then they end up getting a terrible shot at the end of the possession. And of course, you don't get an assist off that. Take the shot that's given to you. They don't do a good job of taking advantage of what the defense is giving them on offense. They're too concerned with running this system and running it down to the shot clock. And it's just like they, they're they not taking good shots. They're overpassing to the point that they're not getting great looks to me. But, but and I don't know what system you're talking about because before the season, Tad talked about, I want us to take the first good shot, and they're not doing that yeah, at all. Yeah, so to me, they're passing themselves out of assists, which is, you know, like I said, a weird, a weird thing to kind of think about. But they're not getting any transition looks either. You look at their their um, advanced stats, and they their points, their possessions – Per game is like one of the last in the country. It's like 286 in the country right now. They're supposed to be moving faster, not slower. And what you see every time they make a run or there's a big block on defense, they get out in transition. Things happen for them, and this, they're just not doing that enough. They're not getting out in transition. It's okay to miss a good shot early in the shot clock. It's not okay to, to pass up four good shots and miss a bad shot with five seconds left in the shot clock. That's not acceptable. Yeah, I think the thing that they're missing in – this is almost a low-hanging fruit here, is just the guy. You know, they don't have the guy. Um, you want it to be Josh Scott, but we talked about it in our preseason thing. It's just never going to be a big man in college sport, in college basketball. You know, it, 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 and a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie uh, um, was able to play under control, and all the other guys around him were just able to play basketball, and they could play without thinking, really. 
um, now, and whether it's this new offense they've put in or just the fact that they don't have a guy like that, it's no one is no one looks like to me like they're just playing basketball. Um, in, in the UNC game, Jaron Hopkins looked like he was just playing basketball, and you saw how well that came through for him. So it, it just looks like everyone's thinking before they do anything, and, and that it's horrible for the the offense that Tad Boyle's trying to run because all these guys, uh, they're not you know high fundamental you know besides Dominic Collier, uh, they're just guys who are really athletic and they can play basketball a little bit, and. When they just play basketball a little bit, it looks really good. But right now, you know, Dustin Thomas is almost the poster boy for what I'm trying to say here. He, if, he, if when you see him, you know, he gets out on the block and just does his thing, it looks really good. But you, then you see him shoot a corner three, and you can you can almost like see a little think bubble like come out of his head. Should I shoot this? Should I not shoot this? I missed my last 47 threes. Maybe I shouldn't. And then he puts it seven feet over the rim, and you're like, what just happened? Like. Just catch the ball and shoot it and, you know, trust yourself. And I think that's the biggest problem here is no one's just playing basketball. Yeah, I would circle back and say that it's not just Dustin who's afraid to shoot right now. I mean, you can see that. No, I, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's – I can't even tell you how many times you just, you just see dude, they just don't want the ball. And you're a Division One basketball player. You didn't get there by not being able to play basketball. And I would say this more so than any other sport, basketball is a confidence game. And baseball, too, I would say. You can get pretty cold if you're not confident hitting hitting a baseball. But if you don't think you can make the shot, you're not going to make yeah. the shot. And there's too many guys on this team that don't want the shot right now. The best illustration of that was late against CSU. They're mounting a, a comeback. You have four guys basically standing around yeah. watching a ski yeah. booker dribble the ball in circles trying to get op- an open shot off in that case. Moving along to kind of our... our our thoughts on this basketball team now, big picture-wise, we all had this as an NCAA tournament team coming into the season. I think I was the most optimistic. I had them with 23 wins in the regular season uh, out of 30 games. Uh, I think it would be pretty surprising development for this team to live up to that expectation at this point. But guys, can, can this Buffs team rebound and still make the NCAA tournament? I think, you know, they can, and um, it's not... You know, it's not bright. There's a, just a little light at the end of the tunnel that you can see, but it's it's not glaring. It's a, it's a glimmer at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, you've seen the way that this team can play, and you've you know you trust Tad Boyle as a coach to get the team to play the way that he wants them to play. So I think you know there is a glimmer there where they can get it all together and you know become uh, the team that locks down on defense and gets that stop when they need it. I think I really do believe that they're capable of committing on the defensive end. So, you know, I don't think, especially in a Pac-12 that's a little bit top-heavy, I guess, you know, I still don't, I'm not doubting the fact that they could finish third in this conference. I think it's still possible for them to get it together and become, have an identity and finish third in this conference. And I think if you finish third in the conference, it's hard you know, even if your resume isn't that great uh, in the non-conference, uh, you know, third team in the Pac-12 is going to be in the tournament. So, that being said, you know, it's nothing that they've done so far has convinced you that they can do that. But I, I have to believe that there is a potential there for them to do that. Yeah, I would say kind of what Ryan alluded to at the end there. There's a difference between can and will they get there, right? So, to me, they certainly can. 
Um, but some things are going to have to start falling into place pretty quickly here. I mean, you, you talk about I, – I would focus on two games upcoming that you you have to win, and that's DePaul in the first round of the tournament, if if only because of the matchups you're going to see because of that. If you lose that game, you're playing three terrible teams in the tournament. That doesn't help your resume. There's no possible scenario in which you're playing two NCAA tournament teams if you lose to DePaul in the first round. So – to me, you have to win that game only because you're probably seeing George Washington, I would think, in the second round. And then you're going to see, win or lose, you're going to see Nebraska or Wichita State. So those are games that give you opportunities to boost your resume. Whether or not they get it done is a different question. And the other game for me is UCLA. Because we haven't beaten them in the Pac-12 since we've joined. Um, they're down this year for sure. Their they're, they're resume, the, the record is good, but the resume is not very good. They're in a very similar place to us. And really, they... If you look at their upcoming schedule, there's a really good chance that they're going to be out of the picture halfway through Pac-12 season play. I mean, I would not be shocked to see them at 3-7 and seven starting Pac-12 play. So that's a game you have to have because you have to be up. You have to take that next step on the rung. You can't lose on a middle Pac-12 team in the first week of Pac-12 play at home. At home yeah. Because following that, you go play Arizona in Arizona. You go play Arizona State at Arizona State, and you play at Utah. If you don't win that game, you're out of the mix in a hurry. Yeah. So, to me, it's one of those, yeah, they can do it, but not the way they're playing right now. No chance. Yeah, I think we basically yeah. said the same thing there. We're recording this podcast on Friday. This is when uh, Colorado's men's basketball team is traveling out to the Diamond Head Classic that, Tyler, you kind of previewed a little bit there. Uh, they're going to practice this weekend, and then they have their first game against, as you mentioned, Tyler DePaul, Monday, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time tip on ESPNU. Uh, they haven't played DePaul since the 1939-40 season. Tyler, what can you tell me about that last matchup? Uh, I can't tell you anything, <laughs> except there's probably a lot of white dudes on the court. <laughs> Without question. Yeah. <laughs> DePaul picked by some preseason list to finish last in the Big East this season. They're 6-4 and four through 10 games. They've now lost three in a row, and they lost at Oregon State on Thursday, 90-59. to 59. So, yeah, this is a basketball team that Colorado needs to beat. They do have some, some players. Illinois transfer Mike Henry. He leads the team in scoring at 16.2 points per game, shooting 55% from the field, 45% from three. They've got Big East all-rookie team selection from a year ago. Tommy Hamilton, the fourth. On the, on the squad, 13-7 and seven guy. He's 6'11". So the Blue Demons do have some players in their front court. Like you said, Tyler, if you get by DePaul, you'd most likely match up against George Washington in the second game. George Washington is playing Ohio. You're going to play that second game on Tuesday. Uh, George Washington's a, a solid, a pretty experienced Atlantic 10 team. Uh, they won 24 games a year ago. Uh, Wichita State, obviously, is the headlining team in, in this tournament field, ranked 11th nationally right now, 8-1 and one, uh, with their only loss at Utah by one point in overtime. Nebraska, a solid Big Ten team. Uh, Hawaii's actually been uh, better than a lot of people expect early on this season. They're 7-3. and three. It looks like they're going to be a top half of the Big West Conference team this season. LMU, just 3-6, and six, uh, the other team that's in the field here. Guys, what, what are the, the keys to the Buffs having success out in, in Hawaii? So, to me, the DePaul game, as I was mentioning a little bit before, is kind of an interesting game because they've played – I mean, they they mauled Stanford, and they got mauled by Oregon State. So, they're definitely an inconsistent team. Uh, they're one that I would like to think we could jump on early and kind of, you know, ride our way out because 
it's especially lately the way they've been playing. They've gotten down early and they've kind of I don't want to say given up, but they haven't really fought back much in their past three games. You were saying that they had lost to, um, so they're going to have to get track on defense. And the one thing for me defensively, they haven't been consistent because they're not they're not reading the scouting report right. They're they're not putting guys that are on the opposite team in positions that make them uncomfortable. Too many three point shooters are getting wide open looks. They're they're helping off too much on driving guards, giving too many open shots, right? They're, put, they're allowing people in positions to make them successful. And to me, I mean, you have to, you have to trust Josh Scott and Wesley Gordon to be able to defend the rim on the little guards. You have to. You can't give them out open threes. That's just how it has to go. And I was actually reading an interesting scouting report on CU the other day that kind of explains a little bit of their deficiencies defensively, especially from the three-point percentage. Um, they rebound the ball. They like to rebound the ball, so they sag defensively to make sure they get those rebounds right, which is going to open up perimeter lanes. Yes. Um, so you, it's one of those things, oh, they rebound the ball really well, right? Well, there's negatives to that as well, sure. which you don't really think about previously. But to me, you have to do it. You have to pick your spots. You can't leave the best three-point shooter on a team wide open ever. If someone scores a layup over Josh Scott in, in lieu of that decision, you live with it. But you can't give a guy who's going to hit a wide open threes that every single time. To me, um, George Washington and Nebraska are in kind of similar situations to us right now. Disappointing so far. Um, Nebraska lost the Incarnate Word. They have two other losses as well. George Washington is also 6-3. and three. Um, They were predicted to be not necessarily top 25 teams, but right in that mix with yeah. us to start the year. And they both disappointed as well. So there are opportunities to get RPI top 100 wins. And then once you're both on – at this point, it looks like all three of them are going to be in the bubble mix at the end of the year. And those head-to-head matchups are going to be important, especially on neutral court situations. So to me, we have to find a way to beat one of those teams, if not both. Yeah, I think uh, the key here is getting someone hot. And um, in the past, I would say it had to be a ski booker, but I really don't think it has to be a ski booker. Um, I think uh, Xavier Johnson has been playing at a level this season where I, I think he's the only one who has showed me that he wants to be the guy. He has it in him where he can be the guy. And, um, you know, whether that's concerning, I, I think it is concerning that, you know, he's the only one who showed that. But I think this is a great stage where he can say, I'm the guy now. And, you know, I'm going to take all these defenders who are smaller than me and I'm going to take them to the rack and I'm going to get easy buckets. And if they want to put someone big on me, I'm going to step out and hit threes. And he's definitely showed the ability to do that. And you saw uh, in the CSU game, you know, he, he really... Um, wanted to get the ball to the hole, and then he also did that against Northern Colorado. So I think um, if I had to predict a guy who's going to be that guy, I would say it's going to be Xavier Johnson, but it could even be Josh Scott. And Josh, like, he's had some really good games this season, but he's yet to have a game where he's, you know, just reining in those left-handed hook shots, which he's very capable of doing. So I think, you know, you if he makes three of, three of those in a row, I think it helps the team in feeding the ball down there. But, you know... You talked about possibly being able to jump on DePaul early, and I just I don't see it in all of the the first games of neutral sites. It just it's always ugly. I don't know what the under is on that game, but take it because you know you look at the Dayton game uh, in the Charleston Classic. I think it was that was sloppy. Um, the year before they played Baylor, I think, or the year after on a neutral court, that was sloppy. Every year when they've been that five seed, that first game of the Pac-12 tournament has been sloppy. So I just don't see them going out there and starting hot and shooting uh, DePaul out of the gym early. I think that's going to have to be a kind of a grinded out one. And 
I, it's almost good for, for them, I think, if they grind one out and they win it on the defensive end. And I think that's what they have to do in, in that first game. And I think you got to get a guy like Xavier Johnson going. After uh, missing the last two games with a wrist injury, Dominique Collier's status is looks looks fairly promising. Tad Boyle hasn't said that he's definitely going to play, but it sounds like uh, most likely he will play out in Hawaii. How much uh, does his return to the lineup kind of boost your confidence in terms of this team going out to Hawaii? Uh, it certainly would have helped against CSU because I mean you see it becomes. Um, magnified when a ski goes out with foul trouble, right? I mean, you could just see that they just didn't have the ball handlers at that point for the whole rest of the game with people in foul trouble. Um, you know, he, I would like him to grow into that role where he really improves this team. He's a solid piece right now where he can help us in some ways. But he's not there yet to me that I'm really going to change the expectations of this team. Yet, I mean, we'll see how he plays and develops. That could change. Um, he can, he's a freshman. He hasn't been consistent really yet, and he's had trouble with injuries. Um, I mean, having him certainly helps. How much at this point in the season, especially with him being rusty, I can't say. You know, I think um, you if if he doesn't have these injuries and the suspension and all that kind of weighing down on him, I really think that Tad Boyle would have turned to him at, at for the starting point guard job by now. Um, so I think this tournament is a really big opportunity for Dom to put three consistent games together in a row and show Tad that he should be the starting point guard come conference play. And, um, uh, you know, I obviously don't know any inside information, but I'd like to think that's what Tad is looking for out of him. Um, Tad wants him to say, you know, I'm going to put three, three games on the table. I'm a freshman. I've made it past the point. Tad likes to say, you're not a freshman anymore once conference play starts. It's a little bit different for Dom since he he has missed time, but I'd like I, I think Tad would like to see him um, go out there and grab that role. And I think um, you know if, if this team can, I guess, put together some good performances, it will give Dom a chance to stop thinking so hard um, about making the right play because he's fallen in love with making the right play. But you want to see him show you a little something that you know he can create some he can create for himself. Uh, as well as creating for others. So I think this is a big opportunity for him to go out there and put three good games uh, on the board. Yeah, I, w- I would just say for him really quick, the one thing that I have been impressed with, he is not afraid to shoot. So, he's yeah, he's making the right play. But when he's open, he's shooting that shot. And to me, that can help this team because they need somebody else on the floor that's willing and capable of shooting the ball when they're open. After the Diamond Head Classic, the Buffaloes will jump into Pac-12 conference play. Guys, uh, based off what you've seen from other teams in the conference this season, has that changed your expectations for kind of how Colorado fits in? Now, obviously, they were picked in the preseason to finish third. I think we kind of reassessed that based off Colorado's play. Now, how much else? Now, how much of a change is there from the way the other teams in the conference have played this season? Uh, to me, the only team that has really surprised me with their play and a positive play that affects us is Washington. So I think we talked about preseason that they had the capability of being one of those teams that make the tournament. I had I didn't predict it because a lot of things had to go right for them in order for it to happen. And I would say all of those things have gone right. Mm-hmm. Nigel Williams-Goss is a stud. Yeah. He's, he's really taken himself to another level. Their complimentary pieces have been fantastic. And Robert Upshaw is a beast on defensively. I mean, I had him um, first team all defense, I think, and that's I can't see how that's not going to happen. He's averaging like four and a half blocks a game. Um, he had a double-double the other night with five blocks as well. I think he had like 18, 13, and five 
in their most recent game. So he is killing it right now. And that that's the big piece that they were missing last year. Um, to me, it, they they have a secondary interior guy and a, and a really, really good defender on the interior. And they just have, they're deeper than I think people gave them credit for this year. They've really come along and, you know, they've got a couple big wins. Uh, I don't, I don't think they're the, what are they, 15 now? 15th in the country? 17th? Something like that. I don't think they're that good. I don't think they're the 17th best team in the country. They've had a little bit of a light schedule, a lot of home, mm-hmm. a lot of home games. Uh, but they are good. At, at this point, they're definitely a tournament team. So that's the one team that I think has jumped us, per se. Um, to me, Cal, they've been okay. They've beaten a couple bad teams on the road. They, they have a good record. Um, I don't know if I trust them yet in conference play. And Sanford, to me, has been disappointing despite a 6-2 and two record. So I still think we can finish third for sure. Um, I think we're in more of a battle with Washington than I was expecting, and I think Cal and Sanford are right there with us. I think uh, UCLA, you could probably add into that conversation as well. Yeah, I, I, I nothing has really changed for me that, that much. Obviously, like you said, Washington is playing at a high level right now, but... Going into the season, we kind of said it was Arizona 1, Utah 2, and then a big toss-up all the way down yeah. to 10 or 11. So I think that's where we still stand. You know, Everyone in this conference is capable of putting it together in conference play and um, you know, snagging that third spot. So to me, expectations haven't changed that much. Obviously, the Buffs have underperformed. There's some teams like Washington that have overperformed, but... It's a season. It's a long season, and the Pac-12 schedule is really a grind, and it can wear teams out, and that script can flip, you know, before you know it. Um, you you catch, you know, two losses on the road, and then all of a sudden uh, you're Washington, and you're in a downward spiral trying to pull yourself out of that. So, to me, no, um, my expectations for Pac-12 play ha- haven't really changed. Um, I guess you know I expected the Buffs to be better, and. They, like I said earlier, they still have a chance to be there. But Arizona and Utah have showed that they're the two best teams in this conference, I think. And after that, it's still all up in the air, which yeah. is what we expect. I think the two important keys to remember are that we have Cal and Stanford at home only this year. We don't go play at Cal and Stanford. So you have that advantage there. And to me, if you get that UCLA win early in the year, their opening stretch in the Pac-12 play, they literally could be out of it by the time we see them again. So to me, if you can separate yourself from those three teams, you're in the top four. So there are still opportunities there for CU to do, you know, to to get that first round by in the Pac-12 tournament. I just I would have liked to have seen us look better at this point in the yeah, season than yeah. we have so far. One thing I, I did want to add is I loved the hire when it happened, and it's I still love it. Wayne Tinkle up at Oregon State. I oh, think yeah. he's going to be great. Up yeah, there. They, they've been by far the most impressive team. And that's, I, I love that. I just, Wayne Tinkle is awesome, and I hope he kills it there yeah. continuously. Gary Payton is really, really, really good. Really good. Looking back to that, the preseason expectations, you know, Utah only had one more vote in the Pac 12 media poll, and that's why they were in second place. Uh, they've obviously certainly lived up to all the, the, the hype there. I think that's an, enough here for basketball. Anything else you guys want to add before we move on to football? Please just beat DePaul. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for my sanity. Well, we got to look back at the, this football season. A 2-10 and ten finish for the Buffaloes. Obviously uh, not exactly uh, living up to the expectations that we had. And we, had, we did our preseason football show, and we went through a, 
a list of different topics, and we're going to kind of review how things shaked out versus uh, you know how we expected them to. Just first start, first off, starting with the number of games that the Buffaloes won, we were more optimistic, obviously, than the two and ten finish. Ryan and I both picked five wins, just short of a bowl uh, berth. Tyler, you had uh, them going um, four and eight this season, so you were the closest in terms of that. Um, I guess just you know, in terms of the two and ten finish in our expectations. How surprised are you guys in terms of that two and ten finish? Um, I said this about halfway through the season, and I stand by it. I predicted them to win five games, and they ended up being better this season than I thought they were going to be, which sounds weird. But I, I thought you know they were going to win um, their their non conference games, and I thought they were going to beat a couple bad Pac twelve teams, and then get kind of just get blown games. out in all those other games. Yeah. And the fact that they they uh, competed in all, all every game but two really, um, sh- to me they're they're better than I expected. So that's kind of an odd thing to say. But you know we predicted five wins, and and I happen to be talking to a, a Texas fan who didn't really follow CU this much this year, and he's like, yeah, they were solid. Would they win like five games this year? And so I was like, no, no, not at all. But it, you can see the perception that CU wasn't horrible. Um, from people who maybe only caught a couple halves of a couple games or something. Um, so, like I said, they won two games, but the the improvement was very, very, very visible. Yeah. I had, We already know I had kind of have a different viewpoint on this, and I guess I would just say it like this. A lot of people say the saying in business, the, you know, result is, it's a results-driven business, right? And there's nothing more results-driven business than college sports and pro sports as well. And to me, I, I'm happy that the perception is that CU is getting better. It's it's better than just having everyone just kind of raining on you for being terrible, right? But at the same time, you can't go two and ten. Like it's just one of those things that maybe next year we'll win a few more games that we that were close this year, and then we can look back on it and say, okay, I see that progress. But progress is only progress if you win. And to me. If they don't like if they if they start out next year disappointing again and lose a bunch of close games, at some point the mindset is gonna become we can't win. Yeah. But you you say progress is only visible in wins. Like you can't say that this year's team wasn't better than last year's team. That had a I, I win. I, I will i I'll say I'll say this to you though. If he goes two and ten next year and has close losses throughout the way, how much longer is he keeping his job? Tyler, to me, that's a whole different discussion, though, and we'll get into expectations for next year. I think year number two, you're still at such the beginning process of this rebuilding job that being close in a lot of games is something, like you said, you eventually can get over the hump. And now if it doesn't come next year, then obviously all that criticism is warranted in year number three. But I think in year number two, you, you look at it through a different lens. Part of the issue for me was I didn't expect the Pac-12 South to be quite as good as it was. I didn't think Arizona was going to be that good. They didn't name a starting Andrew Solomon their starting quarterback until like a week before the season opener. I didn't think Utah was going to be very good. There was a, a point in the season when all four, uh, all the other teams in the uh, Pac-12 South, all f- other five teams were ranked. Even right, right now, right, right now, now. finished yeah. all ranked. All finished all ranked. Yeah. So that was part of the issue for me, and that's why like I agree totally with you, Ryan, in, in the sense that I expected them to get blown out in more, more games and then find a way to beat teams like an Arizona or a Utah, and those teams turned out to be pretty darn good. I mean, I, th- I think the, 
the two that you look at for me are the Washington and the Oregon State games. Those are games that at home, Oregon State was not good this year. Washington wasn't that good either. You you have to find a way to win a game somewhere along the way. Like I, there's, I, I, it's not like I don't agree with you guys. Like I see that the potential is there for this team to like really take a couple steps forward. But to to me, I've just I've gotten myself in the mold of I, I need to see it. Like it has to happen for me before I truly am, am on board with the whole process. I agree with everything you're saying, Tyler. I just it's year three for me when those close wins are no longer acceptable. If they're doing what they did this year, next year, then then I totally 100% agree with everything you're saying. At that point, uh, you know, when a Washington or Oregon State at the level that they were this season comes into Folsom Field next year, no, there's no excuses. You have to win those football games. I, so the way I look at the, year number two under McIntyre and the way I'm going to look at year number three are, are vastly different, and I feel like this year was a building block towards those expectations being different next year. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, say they do go 2-10 and 10 next year with – Oh, carbon copy of this season. Two and eleven. They play thirteen. Okay, games. yeah, two yeah. and eleven. So it's just take everything that happened this season, script it, throw it down. If that happens exactly to a point, I still like like you can't fire. I just don't think you could fire Mike McIntyre over. No, that. but you can be very very critical about what's happening. So yeah, sure. that's but that seat can heat up and it can get real hot. But you know, if you feel like you're that close again, that there's so many games that they are so close to winning. Do you really want to start? Feel like you're starting over? And I, I just, you know, I've, I've read, I've already read people saying, you know, if he goes two and ten next year, um, it, Rick George is going to say it's time for me to make my own hire. And I just, I think that's, you know, Ryan, you have CU fans jumping off a ledge right now, thinking about another two and yeah, season. Sorry, next year. <laughs> I don't think well, it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I would say that as much as I agree with what you're saying, Adam, it's really similar to what you were saying before this season. Like, if you would, if you would have said before the year that we win two games, people don't hear that. Oh, we played close. You know what I mean? There's the eyeball test though when you watch the games that gives you a certain feeling about something. Yeah, I mean maybe and the fact maybe that so, but um, and if they, if they were losing a lot off this football team, and I felt like you had to rebuild in so many areas, I wouldn't feel that optimistic about next season. You look at the seniors they lose, I think they can replace those guys. And maybe not be better in less spots, but just as good in most of those spots. And then you've, uh, you're, uh, in terms of cornerback, I think is the only spot where Greg Henderson's kind of a tough loss. But I think the, all the other spots, you're going to be just fine in terms of replacing guys. And then you've got everybody back that should... Now, we didn't see this with the men's basketball team when you thought guys would take yeah, a little bit of a step This is forward. my concern. Like, it doesn't always it work It doesn't out. always work out that way. But let's just say they improve in one area, and that area is quarterback decision-making. But. Or defense creating turnovers. Okay, that was a huge well, issue this year. There, I just feel like they're like one, like yeah. Obviously, you don't know if it's going to happen, but Sefo. Those are talent. So let's just say Sefo cuts his interceptions in half, and he starts making the right play and in big situations. That's the difference between two wins and four or five wins this year. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is the difference. But it, those things have to happen. I mean, to me, have you ever seen a bad defense create turnovers? I've seen defenses get lucky, sure. Now you put yourself in the spot to create turnovers. Yeah, I mean, no question a better defense is going to have a better chance of doing that. But it's just look it's how an, unlucky they got this it's year. It's an athlete thing. Like, right, but you, you, if you aren't in position to make plays, you're not going to make but plays. There's so, a difference. Like, you can be luck. You can luck into turnovers, and you can luck out of turnovers. This year, they lucked out of turnovers. You know, Terrell Smith uh, in the Utah game 
lucks out of a turnover somehow, some way. Um, Tedra Thompson Duncan. has a scoop, scoop and score against Cal, I think, that was clearly a scoop and score that ends up being, you know, Buffs ball on the 40-yard line. Little things John like... John Walker had a pick that was a holding on the other complete side of the field. It, yeah. It's little things like that that, you know, it just comes down to luck. And they were an unlucky team this year. Ryan I, is I actually think Mike Pomeroying me right now. <laughs> I actually think Mike McIntyre disagrees with you, Ryan. Based off Mike McIntyre's comments in his postseason press conference, he was very critical of the coaching defensively to not get those turnovers. So I think he does agree with you, Tyler, in the sense that that needs to be uh, kind of their point of emphasis. Now, last year their points of emphasis coming into this uh, this coming season were red zone offense, red zone defense. We saw them get a little bit better def- uh, offensively, but not quite as the season went along. But it wasn't a, a fix early on. And then defensively, we really didn't see that improve a whole lot. So points of emphasis don't always result in something better. But you got to assume that the turnover situation is going to get a little bit better next year. This- yeah, you mentioned a quick thing there about Mike McIntyre being critical of the coaching, which kind of transitions me into something a little bit off the script here that we have down for our uh, – for our production plan, but we don't have anything on here about uh, coaching changes, and I, I want to throw that one out there to you guys, whether you think that is going to happen. It seems at this point like it's not, but right after the season, the, there was the a coaching, little heat. The coaching convention hasn't happened yet, and that's in January, and that's early January, and that's an opportunity. A lot of times when, I'm not, I'm speculating here, but let's say a, a coach goes into an assistant's office and says, listen, you might want to sharpen up that resume, go out to the coaching convention, try to find another spot, and we're not going to fire you because that looks bad in terms of trying to get another job. The situation like that could be taking place here in the next few weeks. Yeah, so, all right, so you you, you don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that this staff will be back next year? I don't, no. Okay, because I just feel like there was some heat on that burner right after the season, and now that's kind of gone quiet. Yeah, that's kind of – that's – I saw your eyes light up when he said I don't coaching because he wanted to talk about this too. I don't know. Like if he doesn't make a change this offseason, I'm gonna lose a little bit of faith. I really am. You just you can't go through a year like that and make that many mistakes and have it's kinda like with Seffel the whole year until the very end they they're like, yeah, he's going to throw interceptions. It is what it is. It's like, no, it's not what it is. That's how you lose games. <laughs> you can't just turn the ball over three times a game and give yourself a chance to win. And I think it's the same thing with the coaching staff. Like, you need to have, you need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, we have to find ways to improve. That's the, that's my thing. Is I, I'm not going as far as to say I'll lose faith in Mike McIntyre if he doesn't make changes. But I think there's obvious places where you can improve your coaching staff that I feel like. As a head coach, you should have the fortitude to go make. I, you know, I think that uh, if you can get better in an area and you think you can get better in an area, you have to do it. And I don't think that anyone can argue that this that this coaching staff can't get better in any areas. Yeah, I would I would say the same thing. And it kind of along the same lines here. I don't maybe I am alone in this, but I don't think I am. He in late game situations. Really underwhelming. Like, would decide to punt for it. You know, punt, try to pin someone back when we haven't stopped anybody all game. Give up a quick score, and then you're in the same position on the next drive, and it's fourth and seven instead of fourth and two, and then he decides to go for it. Like, when the game has now become out of reach. It's like, when you're two and eight, 
what do you have to lose by, you know, at least you went for it. At least you went for the win instead of just like playing smart football, quotation marks here, and trying to pin someone back and stop them. Like, you haven't stopped anybody all year. We gave up 44 points a game. Like, just try to make a play. And if you don't, you're still in the same position you were before. You didn't win. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I, it would be a, a long project, but to go back and watch the way he coached games at San Jose State late, um, you know, in, in that second season and in that third season, I, I, I'd be curious to see if I watched him quite there. a bit that season. He seems to be kind of a, a field coach. He kind of senses where what his team needs in a certain circumstance, which can drive fans crazy because they want either you're aggressive, you, they want you to kind of play by a certain mentality and I don't think he's that type of coach I think he's kind of plays it by feel more than anything I just uh, there's a lot of situations in in, what so he didn't have a very good feel this year then (laughs) I'm just answering Ryan's question (laughs) I I think uh I just I I think there's a lot of situations where Adam I look at you and I said UCLA game specifically um you know they stop they hold UCLA to a field goal and I look at you and I was like they got to go for the throat right now you know, you had, that was when Nelson Spruce was, like, really hot. Yeah. You just throw the ball up to him, give him a chance to make a play. You have to at least trust him that if Cepho makes a bad throw on um, kind of a jump ball, that Nelson can at least stop them from intercepting the ball. So there's a lot of times where I was like, go for the throw, go for the throw, go for the throw, and they never did it. And that's kind of going back to Tyler's point. You're a two-win team. What is stopping you from going for the throw? So I think it'll be interesting. Mac, Mac talked a lot after games saying, well, I just I felt if we did this there and we didn't get it, that would lose the momentum and this, isn't this. And that's still him kind of coddling the um, fragile mindset of this team. And it's a fragile team oh, still. absolutely. So I think next year he has to be uh, have enough trust in the mental mindset of his team to say, all right, we cannot get this here and still have our confidence. I'll let you have the last word here, Tyler. I mean, it's... it's there just has. I don't. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you 100. percent I'm just answering the question. Ryan asked me, oh, "What type no, of coach is he?" No, I'm not saying. Play? Yeah, there's the the argument is perfectly valid on both sides. I'm just. I guess I'm just pessimistic. I've watched too much losing football to say it's coming, guys. How much of the? How much of that is Dan Hawkins, John Embry, followed up by Mac McIntyre, and kind of this jaded vision of, of things? Because honestly, I think that's a big part of it. it I'm sure. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm not jaded, but to me, he he was weak in late game situations this year. He was, and that's got to change. They lost a lot they, of close look games. At the, yeah. Look at the results. Yeah, yeah, there's no way either of us can argue that. I have to say, I'm loving the the environment here on Buff Stampede <laughs> Radio. There's a little bit of fire in there. I love it. <laughs> Who's the going to be the hardest senior to replace? I, I threw out Greg Henderson's name out there earlier. I think yeah. he's just. Consistently for four years was one of their best football players. Yeah, it's, it's, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. I mean, I would say from what's sitting behind Greg Henderson, there are definitely guys there. Cheeto Bay Wuze right, can move exactly. over from safety. And you got back. Jared Bell coming back into that safety spot. So you have you have guys in the secondary that are definitely capable. But he is the most talented player we are losing. I, I mean, you could easily say Will Oliver is going to be the most that's, difficult. That's my pick without question. Because, because of the people behind him, I don't yes. trust him at all. So to me... That could be an issue. Dang, I thought I was going to be special teams dark horse <laughs> so, man again. Sorry. <laughs> I yeah, it's it, take your pick, Will Oliver or, or Dar O'Neill. Um, that is a big part of the game that has been solid for four years straight. Um, replacing a four-year starter anywhere, which Greg Henderson, uh, another guy, 
um, is is a scary preposition because you know it, it could easily be this year they lost close games on coaching or whatever you want to uh, or the quarterback throwing big time interceptions next year it could easily just flip right over to they lost close games on special teams because they didn't have a kicker who could put it through the uprights from 40 plus or they didn't have a punter who you know could flip the the field position so that that I think um, is something that people will look over but that's a, that's a scary scary spot I think for Colorado is replacing those special teamers. Defensively, you lose some depth guys in a Judah Parker, Brady Day, but aside from Greg Henderson, you're not you're going to be able to replace those guys. Offensively, Kev Crab and Daniel Munyu, your starting guards. You've got Jared Coe, who got some action, looked pretty darn good out there. Really aggressive guy that's going to step most likely into the left guard role. And then Shane Callahan, the former Auburn transfer at right guard. I think there will be a little drop off there because Daniel Munner was this team's best offensive lineman. Yeah. But again, the O-line was actually kind of, Solid, was better than sure. any of us expected. Oh yeah, not yeah. for me it was light years better than I expected. So I mean, I think, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I was really impressed with the offensive line. question is, who are you going to replace at best nickname slash fan favorite when you lose Gucci Tai? Tyler McCulloch will be a guy that, uh, in all seriousness, created some mismatches out there. Oh, yeah. And they actually went out and they recruited, they liked that role, so they recruited Justin Jana, a receiver from Arizona, to kind of play that role. Now he's going to be a true freshman. Uh, probably, if you're lucky, we'll be able to redshirt him. But uh, maybe Dylan Keeney can kind of fill in that role, a guy that came in as a tight end recruit but has had some injury issues and has not been able to put on any weight at all. So he's going to have to be more of that kind of that slot type of tight end. Yeah, they like they accidentally on purpose created a new position that they ended up liking a lot. Yeah, I mean McCullough went from being he was really, I wouldn't say he was a disappointment because he wasn't expected to be like a huge name when he got here. Here's the first guy though that John Emery mentioned when he was talking about true freshman the year that he came in McCullough. Yeah, I mean, he... That, he so there was expectations well, was, created his, then. The way that he... I mean, he he's one of those guys... This happens in basketball a lot, too. You get a fourth-year senior who all of a sudden becomes like... Like, Levi Knudsen is the one you always think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Who ended up being like, I really wish I had another year of that player. And to me, that this year, that's Tyler McCall. Yeah, sure. he never redshirted. So yeah. you almost had that opportunity if, if he would have redshirted. Um, let's go back... Uh, to, to the beginning here when we started talking about kind of preseason expectations versus what really happened in the preseason show that we did. I threw these topics out there and we'll kind of revisit them now. I asked you guys, will Sefo Lufau, as long as he stays healthy, take every meaningful snap behind center? The answer here is no. Of course, Jordan Gerke plays late against Arizona State and he started the first half against Oregon. We all thought Sefo was going to take every snap behind center this season. Um, so he didn't live up to that expectation. This is an interesting season to talk about. He breaks the school passing yards record, but yet he throws 15 interceptions. He loses two fumbles in the Arizona game alone. Um, it was turnovers overshadowed kind of the positives of, of what he did on the field this season. Yeah, I've never seen somebody turn the ball over so much and have like the support that he had. Like Most of the time someone turns the ball over and it's like, they're getting death threats from the boards and stuff. You know, like, like people freak out about turnovers all the time. It seems like when it's a receiver, and he he had so many this year, and people are still just like, oh, it's not his fault. The ball got tipped. It's not his fault. The line gave up a sack, and it's like, yeah, those things happen in football. You can't turn the ball over every single time something happens. You know, Tyler, there were a lot of fans that were fed <laughs> up with that. But, oh, but there are a lot that weren't too. I mean, I I was I the I was just really surprised that. People are like, oh, we can't sit him. It's like, you can't turn the ball over three times a game and not get sacked. 
And then you saw what happened when you do sit him. You have a guy who couldn't even do the things that Seth oh, was doing I didn't, well. I didn't think he was so, going to be better, but at some point you have to, you have to, there's consequences to turning the ball over three times a game. You have to be able to sit down and think, I can't do this every night. You can't just play. I liked, I liked a lot that Jordan Gerke started the Oregon game because he looked really good in practice in preseason camp, and so there was always this question of what could he do. Now, obviously, at Autzen Stadium is not exactly the best situation to start your first game. He looked really, really nervous out there. He played nervous, and you saw it on the field. I'm not closing the book on Jordan Gerke long term. I still think he has a lot of potential, but at least now we know going into this offseason that Jordan Gerke is not ready for prime time. If he hadn't started in that game, which you're going to lose anyways, no matter who's behind center, uh, now you, at least you, you know what you have there yeah. a little bit. I mean, this is not an alone. No one thinks Jimmy Clausen is better than Jay Cutler, right? <laughs> like, we can make Jay Cutler we all hate, but it's one of those things that if you turn the ball over every game, you have to sit down. It's just one of the, it doesn't matter if the guy behind you is better. You have, like, there's got to be consequences for making stupid football plays. There has to. Yeah, and, but like you said, Adam, it's a weird season to look at from Seth Luka because there's a lot of good things you can look at from him, and unfortunately the bad ended up costing them a good chunk of games. But uh, you, there's still going to be that narrative on the board, well, if he just takes a step forward in that category, then you've got yourself a good quarterback, and it goes back to can he do that? And I think, honestly, the fact that he came in so mature – wiser than most people his age his ceiling was lower especially when you consider that he's not a dual threat guy but i don't that concerns me a little bit i don't necessarily think you have to become more mature as a player to not make those turnovers you just have to become smarter Uh, and there's a lot of plays that he a lot of interceptions that he threw that he's very capable of not making that decision he just didn't do it in that moment mike mcintyre defended him a little bit in the post-game press conference, uh, post-season press conference, by saying that if the defense can get a little bit better, they won't have Cephalufal having to be so aggressive offensively. Do you guys buy that at all? No, not at all. I, I think how he handled Cephalufal this year was really frustrating. I mean, there were plenty of times in the post-game he was just like, "Well, yeah, you know, made a couple of mistakes." Like at some point, you need to be like, "Listen, you can't make that throw. You can't make the throw." I trust him long term, but he's got to learn that he can't make the throw. Like at some point, you just Tyler. There's a difference between they're doing that behind the scenes. There's a difference between doing it, telling Sefo Lufa in the meeting rooms that it's not acceptable, and another thing to kind of sugarcoat it with the media to not create this quarterback controversy. And I think that's what Mike McIntyre was doing. This staff, I know for a fact, was very, very, very frustrated with those turnovers. Well, good. Well, thank God. <laughs> I, we're, they were obviously frustrated with the turnovers. It cost them games. I mean, it, everything that the coaches tell the media is not exactly what's happening behind closed doors. No, I, I get that, but I just don't think it would have created a quarterback controversy to say we need to turn the ball over less. It's not necessarily a quarterback controversy. It's one of those things that I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I've always people always freak out about getting called out in the media and stuff, and I've never really like cared. Like to me. If something needs to be said, say it. You don't have to like. What really needed to be said is, look, we don't have a better option, <laughs> and that would have shut it up, shut up a lot of people because yeah. it's the truth. And I don't think, yeah, option. I don't think that's incorrect. They don't have a better option, but at the same time, you have to be held res- a court, you know, responsible for the decisions you make on the field. We also discussed in the preseason whether Sefo would rank in the top nine in terms of the conference passer ratings, uh, and we all said he would not, and that turned out to be true. He ranked eleventh in the conference in passer rating. 
ahead of slightly uh, slightly ahead of Sean Mannion, which kind of surprised me. We thought now obviously we knew with Brandon Cooks leaving Oregon State it was going to be a lot tougher on Sean Mannion this year, but. So, I mean, he ended up as Pac-12's all-time leading passer. I was kind of surprised by his struggles this season. His best performance, I think, was in Boulder against the Buffaloes. Uh, moving along, I asked uh, you guys in the preseason, who's going to lead this team in rushing? We all said Michael Atkins. And, of course, uh, Michael Atkins was probably on pace to do that, but then he got hurt against Arizona later in the season. And Christian Powell passed by him, and he ended up with a team lead by 45 yards over Tony Jones. All four of the CU running backs had at least 391 yards. So you heard about this because it was going to be a running back by committee, and it was absolutely absolutely a running back by committee. Um, all three of those four backs, or I'm sorry, all of those four backs averaged at least 4.3 yards per rushing attempt. Powell, Lindsey, and Atkins all averaged more than 4.9 yards per rushing attempt. And it seemed like that group got a lot better when teams were focusing on Nelson Spruce. I think the running backs did their part. I think that was one of the brighter spots on this team in terms of committee. Uh, but I think it was also aided by the fact that when Nelson Spruce went off early in the season, other teams were kind of focusing more on him, and it kind of opened some things up for the running game. Yeah, to me it was a little bit frustrating too, though, because it seemed like no one really got into a rhythm. Like you would see Christian – I wish Christian Powell played Utah every game of the year. Let's just talk about that. So <laughs> He's always ridiculous against Utah and terrible against everybody else. And Atkins was terrible for the first four games of the year and then really good. It just seemed like no one – you couldn't – I there wasn't one game all year I was like, Michael Atkins is going to have a good game today. Be, he would have two carries. Tony Jones would have a nice game. It was just one of those things – it seemed like they struggled to get into a rhythm sometimes. I mean, we, they had costly turnovers because not too many guys were getting, you know, consistent touches. It's nice to have four good players, but I think that sometimes it, it was difficult to really get a gauge on how they were going to do things. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the basketball team in the sense of with the sophomores – Seems like one of them has a good game every game, but Tad Boyle never knows before the season whether it or before the game who it's yeah. going to be. So um, that running back group is really encouraging, I think, going into the off season. Um, but you, it's like you just need to know, you need to somehow know who's going to be the guy, and, and you hope that um, almost a guy emerges where you know Mike Atkins is the guy, and you bring in the other guys to either change the pace a little bit or to um, you know, give him a breather instead of, all right, let's start the game with Michael Atkins. Oh, stuff, 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 stuff. All right, well, let's try Philip Lindsay. Oh, all right, he has a couple good runs, and then it just, it, it, you know, it's just hard to get guys going. Well, I think consistently. that what you said about Tad Boyle is kind of relating to this situation. Clayton Adams, the running backs coach, said we think going into a game we've got the guy that's going to be successful, and most of the time it doesn't turn out that way. So you're kind of in a bad spot in that situation. I think overall, though, you've got to be pleased with this group now. Um, you lose Tony Jones, but uh, it may be that's a good thing, addition by I, yeah. subtraction. I, I not mean, not he, anything against I, Tony Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like – yeah, that's what I was going to just clarify. I think Tony Jones is a great player, but now I think the roles will be defined a little bit more especially because he was kind of the hybrid. So now you go back to Christian Powell's going to be the goal line guy or whatever it may be. Michael Atkins is going to be your Let's just not run at the goal line anymore at all. <laughs> yeah. We, let's just make sure that or can Christian, we not just, yeah, Christian like, Powell oh. never catching passes in the flat is what oh I want to see. Oh, my God, dude. So bad. <laughs> Maybe George Frazier can be your, your short yardage guy. Yeah, just someone to rely on. I don't know. Like, they tried Philip Lindsay a lot this year, and I just. In practice, he's really good at short yards. It obviously did not translate to game. I think at some point in his career, he will actually be a good short yardage guy because he is relentless. 
He's got to get a feel for it, though. I think his first carry in that situation against CSU was a perfect example. He leaves his feet before he even gets to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. To me, you just need a one-cut guy. Philip Lindsay, some might say he's a one-cut guy, but to me, he's a shifty guy. I'm getting, like, PTSD you want, you want, just thinking about, yeah. like, I just have, like, a montage <laughs> in my head playing of just Colorado backs running into the backs of their offensive linemen. It's like, well, it'd be nice if they tried a different play. I'm pretty sure they ran the exact same play on 90% of their goal line carries, which is basically just straight they to were the actually, We joke about it. They actually got pretty good at it as the season went along. Yeah, but you were so jaded because of the early <laughs> season issues that... You just kind of looked at it through a different lens. It's, it's, it's Kyle be. Ringo tweet of the year. It was just, if Colorado runs the ball here, I'm throwing myself out of the press box. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's one of those, like, people are like, oh, they're actually pretty good at it. It's like, no, it's a yard. <laughs> like, you, you better be good at it if you want to win games. But Nelson so. Spruce sneak was awesome. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. It was probably my favorite play of the season. Speaking of Nelson Spruce, we all knew that he was going to lead this team in receptions going into the season as long as he stayed healthy. He did. He had... One of the best seasons of a CU receiver in school history. 106 catches, 1,200 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns. Just a fantastic season. I threw out to you guys, uh, who's going to finish second, third, and fourth behind him in receptions in the preseason? Uh, I said Goodson was going to finish second, Fields third. I'm sorry, Goodson second, Fields third, Bobo fourth. Ryan, you said Bobo second, Goodson third, Donovan Lee fourth. Tyler, you said D.D. Goodson second. Bobo third and Fields fourth. It, it turns out that Shea Fields catches tw- 50 passes, ranks number two. Dee Goodson is third with 38. And Tyler McCulloch, who none of us expected to be in the top four of the team in receptions, ranks fourth there with 30. So clearly the disappointment was Bryce Bobo. He didn't, wasn't quite the impact that we expected. He had a great spring game. Um, and they, he just wasn't on the field as much as the other guys. I think part of it was he was still learning the playbook a little bit. Um, and his skill set was, was definitely utilized at times. He catches the pa- touchdown pass that sends it into overtime at Berkeley. Um, catches a couple other big passes as well. Um, now Fields, he exceeded all of our expectations in terms of his catches. Sure, yeah. We all thought he was going to be really good, but just not quite that good. Yeah, I just didn't know he was going to be that big of a part of the game plan, I guess. But... Uh, I was pretty far off with my second and fourth, but I think I'm the only person who got a person in the right position, which was Dee Goodson at third. So I'm taking that <laughs> okay, one and running. Okay. okay, well, there you go. Good good on that. I think, I think, yeah, Bobo, it was kind of funny. So you see at Blake Street where I work, they have three other Pac-12 schools as alumni groups, so I get to talk to a lot of these other schools a lot. And one guy that everyone always talked about is like, oh, why don't you guys play him more? It was Bryce Bobo. So I think people thought that he was That's a talented the guy. the Pac-12 Network's fault. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> they, just, they talked him up so just, much all the time. because he, they were, and Keller Witherspoon were slated to be all Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I didn't watch much Bryce Bobo was a Heisman was, contender. Well, but people who went to the games. like So every year, when or so um, Arizona State and... Washington were the two that had home games this year. So they all go up to the game, right, for the alumni groups that time. And they came back talking like, oh, yeah, Bryce Bubble is a good player. I would have liked to have seen more from him. So I think I think McCall's resurgence and kind of impact had a little bit to do with that. They trust him more. He's obviously been in the program a long time, and he had a great year. I think Bobo will start to get a little more of those type of touches going forward. I did mention D.D. Goodson when we are talking about seniors departing because I, I feel so good about the slot receiver position going forward with Donovan Lee getting his feet wet. He looked good in spots this year. He was maybe too much of a specialist because you kind of knew when he was on the field he was going to get the ball, which is a problem. I think he'll evolve out of that. And uh, Joe J. McIntyre, after 
after uh, redshirting this year is going to be a solid slot receiver. They've got two guys in there. I don't think they're going to miss D.D. Goodson at all next year. Well, they got a couple other guys coming back from redshirts, too. Devin Ross. Devin Ross and Elijah Dunson, who I don't think will have a huge impact. But, I mean, the depth is there. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch Jay McIntyre run meaningful routes because I watch him just work people in practice with his route running, and I'm excited to see uh, and if, that, real if that can translate to the field. Great hands, too. Yeah. Uh, he probably dropped fewer passes than anybody on the team this year, so anybody that was crit- critical of him getting a scholarship, I think that's not going to be the issue. He's not going to play quarterback. He's going to be a slot receiver, and he's going to make some plays, and he's going to be just fine throughout his career. You, yeah. you don't think that his scholarship should have gone to Sam Martin? <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> Sean Irwin, uh, I set the over under at receptions for him at 13.5. We were talking about, we kind of did this for every category with each position. Uh, we we were all right. We didn't, actually, I'm sorry, Tyler. Tyler was the only one that thought he would catch less than 13 and a half receptions. I don't know what I was thinking back when we did our preseason show. He only caught seven passes for 67 yards and one touchdown. As the season went along, we saw more Kyle Slavin. He was a senior. Yeah, how many catches did Slavin have? Because I remember talking about the combination of them would have somewhere around 15. Slavin ended up with, uh, where is it, okay. He had 11 catches. Yeah, okay. So you had, what is that, 18? Yeah, so that was kind of what the reason I said no to begin with was not that I didn't think he was great, but that I thought they were kind of being a committee-type role. Okay. So and that's exactly it, what happened. Yeah, it played out kind of as I expected. But I I think you'll see Irwin get up in more of that eighteen total. If I guess it depends on how you label. Speaking of awesome plays, Sean Irwin's one TD catch was when they split Nembot out wide, and that yes. was yeah. that yes. was so awesome. I yes, I wish they could just run that every time, and the defense wouldn't know it was coming. That was I just wish they. I, I just wanted to throw it to Nembot just so I could in my head replay that practice where he was just like, "Why would you give me the ball?" <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he. That was the in the first half against Cal. That that first half against Cal had to be the best stretch of football this team played all season. I, I don't think there was any half of football that was more exciting than that for for this team. The offensive line. We already talked about the fact that they exceeded our expectations. I threw the number out there at sixteen point five in terms of sacks given up over under. We all said over. We thought they were going to give up more than sixteen and a half, and they only gave up eleven. So we were wrong there. They ranked second. Uh, in terms of the Pac-12 in fewest sacks given up, and they actually led most of the season in that category. They gave up some really cheap sacks against Utah that got credited um, against against them, and then Stanford had that they didn't give up any sacks against UCLA, so they jumped them the last week. As a group, I mean, the O-line probably was the brightest spot in terms of me going into the season. I thought that was going to be their weakness as a team. Yeah, I mean, I would one of the strengths of the team really, especially Nembot. To me, I mean, like there were games last year where you just you could see him lined up, and you're just like, "This is, it's not going to happen." <laughs> yeah, you rarely see you rarely see position coaches um, getting praise on the board. I think Gary Bernardi needs a oh, a big sure. pat on the back from the fans. Yeah, they, he did a they great were, job with that. They were group. tremendous this year. I mean, I think the sack numbers are helped a little by the fact that they get the ball out so quick. Yeah, but there's definitely, I mean, the pass protection was worlds better. Uh, yeah, you know, Jeremy Irwin at left tackle played about as well as you could expect for Definitely, a first guy yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Alex Kelly had a, I want to say, was it about a third of the way through the season, had a couple bad snaps, but aside from that, was pretty solid yeah. in the middle. Um, as you mentioned, Nembot really came on. If, if Jared Coe can be the guy that he was, even in limited spots this past season, next year, they'll be fine there. And if Shane Callahan can come anywhere close to the four-star hype coming out of high school, that group is going to be good again next year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like those two 
Coe and Callahan, it seems like they're really, they're mean. Like you see in practice, those are the two guys that are always smacking people in the helmet and yeah. you know getting after it that way. So that's what you want from your guards. We'll see whether or not you know they're talented enough to you know to get the hype and get the starts. But this seems like there's a lot of depth there. We'll get somebody who's capable. One way or the other. Yeah, Kron Sage is another guy who has a pretty bright future as well. Uh, you actually have some a quality depth there at, at, at tackle if one of those guys were to go out. They lose Mark Musto, which was in a huge loss, but he would, might have been a quality depth guy to have next year, but it does open up the scholarship uh, for them. Moving over to defense, I asked you guys which defender will lead the buffs in sacks. Uh, Ryan, you said Kenneth Olobode, uh, and Tyler and I both said Sorry. Derek McCartney. <laughs> we, we were uh, we were right, Tyler. Derek McCartney with four and a half sacks. He actually had four pretty early in the season. I was going to say, he only had four and a half. That's surprising. I thought he had like closer to six, six and a half. It seemed like that, but he got those sacks pretty early in the season, yeah. and uh, he did get a half a sack in the Utah game, if memory serves. Um, really good season out of him. I think you look at uh, the recruiting, they're going to have so many defensive linemen on campus and uh, they're going to kind of let the cream rise, I think, with this big group. But I think, but Derek McCartney's the one guy. Him and Josh Tupar are the two guys, I should say, on the D line that you go, okay, they're going to be fixtures there next oh, year. Yeah. It's ridiculous to me so. that there's three more years of Derek McCartney. Like when he taught, it's a little bit like maybe what we were saying about Cepho after last year. I don't want to compare them, but like when he talks, he feels like that's a senior defensive end coming into a press conference. He's going to be, I mean, he's be really good. gray-shirted, then red-shirted. There's guys that are upperclassmen mm-hmm. that were in his signing class. Yeah, I could yeah. see him as a senior getting double-digit sacks. Yeah. Maybe even before then. He, he's a good player. He's one of the guys on the field that you see. He he makes plays that make you focus on him on defense, which is a sign you want to see. And I think he's going to force a ton of fumbles throughout his career because he's always got that arm trying to rip the ball out when he goes in there for a tackle or a sack. Uh, was it, it was the UCLA game where they were trying to make a play late, and he came around the back, and he got full hand on the ball, and the play just kind of moved its way out of bounds. But he almost singled, like stole that game right away from UCLA, who was trying to make a late drive to get a field goal. Addison Gillum, the over-under at tackles in the preseason, was set at 115. He had 119 as a true freshman, so it doesn't seem that ridiculous. It didn't seem that ridiculous at the time. Of course, he was plagued with injuries throughout the season, um, and uh, he only had 79, so far under. He played 314 less defensive snaps in 2014 than his true freshman season. We all thought he was going to get more than 115, uh, and we didn't close. Are you sure about that? I think so. I'm pretty sure we all had under. Okay. I'll have to go should, back yeah, and look at that. Yeah. Because I know we were all in agreement, but I'm pretty sure we all said under just because of, you know, other people around him when we thought Oleg Bodie was going to be nasty. Yeah. Review the tape. <laughs> Recount. Yeah. Okay. Wanna, we'll wanna, do not, that. Not that it changes the score because I, I, I remember that we all had the same okay. answer. But. Who will lead the buffs in interceptions? None of us got this right. Tyler and I both said Greg Henderson. Ryan, you said Cheeto Bayouze. Tedrick Thompson, lo and behold, with three interceptions, is the only defensive back that has any interceptions this season. Tedrick Thompson was a real big bright spot. I mean, that he was the best player on defense, and that wasn't – none of us would have said that going If Tedrick Thompson doesn't get hurt against Cal, we win. they win that football yep. game, yep. and they we're not talking about a winless you know, conference season. That's probably true. And maybe they learn how to win in that game and – yeah, Lots there's, of things yeah, there's a lot that. of snowball effects, but I will say, I mean, people get injured, so we—that's that's one of the things where the depth piece is going to come into play. Can we get guys yeah. that we can rely on at all positions to come in and be effective? There's I mean, some other spots though that that, are, that you can replace, but Tedrick Thompson was the right. irre- irreplaceable guy. Yeah, for and, this I mean, team. and and the safe, you know, like you never expect to have the kind of injuries we saw at safety this year. So 
you know, there's obviously some excuses to be made for that. Not trying to but, like dig a kid too hard, but I, I won't miss watching Terrell Smith in pass coverage. Yeah. One of the nicest kids on the team, but yeah, he just, it was not no a lack of want to on exactly. his part. Exactly, that's he why just, it hurts, that's why it hurt to watch so much, because he was, it's not like he wasn't giving full effort, he was trying so hard, and it just, he just didn't have it. Yeah. With Tedrick Thompson, Ryan, you and I were both down on the field, literally feet from where he suffered that concussion against UCLA late in the game. He was down there bawling his eyes out. That was a scary, scary moment. And we were all just really relieved to find out that it was nothing more than a concussion. That was a really scary injury. Yeah, that like sucked the air out of the entire stadium. And me, even I, like had to take a knee because I was just, that was not one of the most uncomfortable moments I've ever had. Because we, it's sometimes it's really cool to be down there that close to the action, and that happened right in front of us, and that yeah, no fun to watch. Moving along to special teams, I asked you guys: Will Daryl O'Neill or Will Oliver be in the discussion for all conference honors? Meaning, will they either be all-conference or honorable mention all-conference? And they were both named honorable mention all-conference. So the answer to that question was yes. Ryan, you and Tyler both said yes. I said no. I was the pessimist there. There are a lot of great punters and kickers in the Pac-12 that had more to do with that than it did anything against those two guys. But you need one vote to get all honorable mention. We don't know how many votes they got. But they definitely, there's sometimes when that's a joke when you get honorable mention all-conference. They both deserved it. Will Oliver, you take the Cal game aside. And the Cal game is a big part of his career here because it's what a lot of people are going to remember. But he was really, really solid throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, that's what he always was. Always a solid guy, but Aside from one day, unreliable one outside of 45. Yeah, I, I was, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, I was in the stands for the Utah game, and uh, there was a, a lady at the end of the game, and they were showing the, the seniors up on the screen, and she was like, oh, thank God Will Oliver's graduating. He was so bad, and I... I I almost lost it on her. I kept my cool, and I was like, "You're wrong," but I really wanted to say more. <laughs> I'll give that. you, I'll give you Eric Goodman back. Maybe yeah, see how you feel about that. Uh, Dara obviously uh, <laughs> got invited to the East West Shrine game. Um, he he had he uh, is with an agent, so he's got a chance to possibly try and, and go to the next level. He he had a really good career for a guy who just uh, was sitting in the stands one day, watched Zach Gross nickel shank a punt, and said, "I think I can do better than that." So. Uh, that's pretty cool. Good cool for, him. for him. Those punter spots in the NFL, they're so, so, so hard to get yeah. because guys hang around forever. But if you can get one, you can live the life. It's kind of like almost like a long snapper job in the NFL. That, that's the job. That's a dream job for me. <laughs> you just go out there and long snap it a few times a game. And if you can get that gig and be good at it, you're set for life. Yeah, yeah. hey, Britton Colquitt's having a pretty bad season for the Broncos, and he's grossly overpaid. So they can just look right <laughs> down was, the road to Boulder. Kind of related, they were talking about Connor Barth got signed. He had a, there was an article out that was like, what took you so long to get back? And he's just like, there's no backups in the NFL. Yeah. You know, somebody's got to lose their job for you to get one. So And they don't play football like that over in Europe, whereas basketball guys, right. you know, you just have to be a marginal talent in college to make a career out of it. Uh, it's tough uh, if you're a specialist. Um, I think Ryan Iverson almost got locked on with a, a team as a long snapper, but didn't quite make it. And um, it's one of those things that you just need that one team to give you a shot, and you can be set for life. I'll take your guys' word for it in the Addison Gillum uh, category. So that Ryan, you were correct with seven of these preseason uh, Tyler. top. T- Tyler was uh, number one. It was seven. Ryan and I both with four. So you're the runaway winner, Tyler. Uh, except, except except this air award that I'm Face, handing you right now. <laughs> FaceTime, 30 I, seconds. I will accept it, but it's not a good feeling. <laughs> I would have loved for them to just blow me out of the water and you know exceed expectations, and I would be sitting here with zero correct answers, and then I would have felt really good. So I would next year let's 
do that instead. We also discussed uh, some more national big picture stuff, and uh, the topic was throwing out who wins the first college football playoff championship game. Obviously, we don't know yet, but we all still have a chance to get this right. Uh, myself and Tyler both said Alabama is going to beat Florida State. They can meet in the championship game, and I would certainly take Alabama over Florida State if Florida State can get by Oregon. Ryan, you had Alabama over UCLA. All three of us had UCLA in our top four. We were dead wrong yeah, there. Super disappointing. Yeah, super I, disappointing. I've said this a couple of times. You're not supposed to have bias, but I I hate UCLA now because <laughs> they made me look bad. <laughs> Here's another one: Who will win the Heisman Trophy? I said Melvin Gordon. Uh, I was close there. Yeah. You guys said Brett Hundley, yeah. just uh, throwing more fuel was, on the... I was really excited to be the only person to say him because I thought I was really smart, and turns out we weren't so smart. <laughs> Talking with uh, Ed Lewis, who uh, runs our UCLA site, he says he just had never really developed, it's true, from oh, yeah. his... When he was a redshirt freshman, it was like, the sky is a limit for this guy. He's going to be... Mm-hmm. Everything Mar- Mariota turned out to be yep. is what we thought Brett Hundley was going to be, but he didn't learn how to read defenses... He's pretty inconsistent throwing the ball. Yep. His game was always, when no, things I, break down, he can make plays, and that's how they beat what, Colorado in, yeah. in double overtime. Watching him play this year, he was not impressive. Like, I think I, I saw the potential that everybody else sees, and you see, he play, how he played as a young guy, and you really thought that he would take the next steps forward, and he really didn't at all. He was really unimpressive that, to me. So is that place. a UCLA coaching thing? I think it's Brett Hundley. Uh, on, on, I think most of it's on Brett Hundley okay. in terms of he just – wasn't able to evolve in terms of reading defense at the mental side of the game. Physically, he was pretty much there. Now, every once in a while, he he missed throw a ball, but I think it was more the mental side of things. Yeah, it's one of those things that you know when you're that kind of player, especially in football, where you your whole entire life you've gotten on by just being a better athlete than everyone. Sometimes you just don't have that development from a cerebral perspective to really get to the next step. We were supposed to spend 50 minutes on all these topics. We've gone about 72 minutes at this point. Um, we we're going to talk about some football recruiting stuff. I say let's just table that, come back, do a recruiting show here somewhat soon. Because I think by the time we get to this point, point of the show, I want, I'm wondering how many people are actually listening out there still. Hopefully everyone. Hopefully everyone. It's a great show. A lot, of, a lot of fire. It was good. Yeah. Tyler and I, who actually got a little... More heated than usually. We're we're usually too nice. I, don't I like this new s- side you think of the show. I'm nice? No, you. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I just, you're a gentle I, giant, Tyler. You got Adam about. to raise his voice, and that was awesome. Right, well, that's good. Well, guys, anything else you want to t- say about uh, this 2014 football season before we put a wrap on it? Like I said, after the game, it followed the script, but that's the bad news. And the good news for Buffs fans is that script is over. Are you guys excited about spring football, or do you are you like so disappointed in the two win season that you just don't even want to think about it? It's one of those. I say this a hundred times in my life. I'm just like, ugh, so over it. And then spring football comes around, and I'm at every practice I can go to. So hope spring's eternal. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say yes because there's a. I want to see. Why? Well, I, I mean, do we know if Jerry Bell's going to be back? I wouldn't imagine he will be. I talked. Yeah. I talked to him a couple days, maybe a week ago, and he said it's it's just because the, the the delay is they just don't process these sort of things until I think January. But he said you know it's basically a foregone conclusion. He'll be back. Okay. Well, it's, I, to that and you know a couple other injured guys plus the JUCO. Were you asking if is he going to be back or is he going to participate in spring ball? Participate in spring. Ball. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, he'll, you, he'll yeah, be I, I he'll get the waiver. I don't think there there's maybe a zero point two percent chance he doesn't. 
But in terms of they're going to bring him along slowly. Now, the one concern I have here, though, is that when Jared Bell came back from the first ACL, he wasn't the player that we that he became for, a whole year. for really two years after yeah. that. So All you I know might, is if the NCAA does wrong by Jared Bell, the nicest person in college football, I will storm their offices with a torch. <laughs> okay. There you go. They could use a few of those, I guess. Um, I don't know. To me, spring ball is always a chance to get to see the new guys. So I'm always excited about that. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see who's replacing all the starters and whether or not I think they can improve the team. We have a tough schedule next year. I would think my, I think my expectations are going to be lower than a lot of people. There's a lot of pitchforks out there if he doesn't go to a bowl game next year, and I just don't see that happening. But... It would be nice to see some depth and maybe to me they go six once and seven. Year, there's no pitch. There's no one's bringing their. I mean, even forwards. to me, four or five wins. It would be nice to just see them win a game. To me, so I don't know. I guess my expectations are mellow compared to most. I'm gonna, you know, when that season gets closer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a lot of weight on that Hawaii game because I think if they go lose that game, it could. Yeah, it, it, that's you know. Well, it's the exact same thing we said about CSU yep. this year. So that's scary. It's scary, you know, going to the islands and putting as much weight on that game as I'm going to put on that game. Yeah, let's just say, like you said before, man, if they win and they start trusting themselves that they can win games, that's usually what happens when they think they can win. They'll win. Well, spring practices are going to be earlier this year. They're actually going to conclude uh, conclude the same day as Selection Sunday. So. Obviously, we'll come back and do a spring ball preview, but then we'll be back before that with a recruiting show. We were hoping to get some to some of that today, just didn't have quite enough time. So let's reconvene here, guys, in a few weeks and, and talk football recruiting. In the meantime, I hope everybody out there has a very safe and happy holiday season. Thanks for tuning in.